God's great desires that you wouldn't stop believing. His great desires that you would know no matter what he's got you. There's going to be times life's not easy. And, and I, I, we know that. Jesus didn't say, come to me and be happy and always have it easy. He's saying, you can have something in the midst of the greatest heartache that won't leave you. You could have something in the, in the midst of an amazing failure you don't have to let go of. And, and, but, but we have to be people who are honest. Uh, it's, it's the truth will set us free. That's what Jesus said. You're going to know the truth and the truth's going to set you free. And here's what, what he's saying to me, Chuck, if you want that, then you got to face up to some things. You can't hide from it. And by the way, we're in a world that would like to hide from it. We'd like to pretend it's not there. We'd like to, to change the terminology so it doesn't look as bad as it is. We, we'd like to, to, to mask ourselves from hurt and pain. And by the way, you ready for this? Jesus said, if you really want to be a blessed, happy person, then you're going to have to mourn. You're going to have to mourn. Now, it, the happiness doesn't come in the morning. The happiness, actually, the happiness does come in the morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Uh, but, but... The happiness doesn't come from the mourning, the crying. It comes from the comfort that you open up to. But you can't have the comfort, which leads to the happiness, unless we get honest about some things. And by the way, that's what happens when, when you and I say to God, God, I need you and I need others. And we open up to that. Well, when the presence of God comes, get ready for this. A holy God comes. And when the holiness of God comes, and, and I've experienced this not just once, it's a, we do all the time, then you begin to go, whoa, that doesn't, I, that isn't good. That, that caused pain. That caused hurt. See, Isaiah was caught up into heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He says, oh, woe is me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling with people with unclean lips. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I know how hard it is to tame the tongue because I've said things that I should not have said. And by the way, I hope that you grab where I'm going. It hurt people. It, it betrayed people. And, 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 and you don't excuse that. You don't excuse it. Peter's in a boat with Jesus and he realizes who he is. And he said, away from me, Lord. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Away from me. Because I'm a sinful man. Now, now, here's the thing. You know, Freud thought that it was just a sick thing that we as Christians raise the issue of sin. Here's the point I want to tell you. It's not a sick thing we do. It's a truthful thing that we do. It's about being honest. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. It's interesting that there are nine Greek words for mourn. Nine used in the Bible. This is the strongest one. This is the one that would be used if you lost a child tragically and you cried your guts out. It's the, what happened in Genesis 37, 34 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. When, when Jacob was told that Joseph had been killed and that was the word he was, he pentheoed. He began to cry and wail and weep. And, and by the way, when you have this kind, don't miss this. When you have this kind of mourning, you don't hide it. When you're poor in spirit, we saw last week, you're transparent. Now, you use wisdom in how you bring it out. But you don't put on an act, and you don't pretend. And then when you have pentheo in your life, when you have that kind of mourning, you know what? You don't either. You don't walk in and, 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 and pretend everything's okay in that moment. It should not overwhelm you. It shouldn't be lifelong. But, but there needs to be moments in our life we experience it. William Barclay said this about the word pentheo. He said, it's the kind of mourning that cannot be hidden. It brings an ache in the heart and tears in the eyes. So let me ask you the question. Can you cry? Can you say, I'm sorry and mean it and cry? 
Can you say that wasn't what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do? Or the bummer is it is what I wanted to do and now I'm so sad I did it. And you could cry over it. Can you do that? And Jesus said, if you can, you'll be happy. Now, why? Let me tell you. Number one, you'll be happy because you have a heart that feels. God wants you and I to have hearts that really, truly feel. And if you're going to love, you've got to open yourself up to being hurt. Sat with a young guy one time. and He said, man, I just don't know if I want to get involved in relationships anymore because it hurts. I said, yeah, it hurts. I said, but praise God, you can hurt and don't run from that. Now, don't be abused. But the truth is. Don't shy away from the fact that you're going to take a risk. And the minute you love anybody, it's a risk. Even family, it's a risk. Uh, 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 Dating, marriage, it's a risk. And, and, you know, friendships are a risk. The church is a risk. I have all people come and say, man, I don't want to, I come to the church and -and so-and-so hurt my feelings. That's not how it's supposed to be in the church. It might not be how it's supposed to be, but get ready. You're in a room filled with people who are human and we're not perfect. And if you say, well, I don't want to get hurt, I, well, I got bad news for you. You know, I, I really do. I, it just didn't work that way. And, but it's worth it to feel. It, God wants you to have a heart of flesh. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. Then God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. He says, if you call out to me and you say, I need you, I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. And moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to observe my ordinances and do them. God says, I want to give you a heart of flesh, not stone. But a lot of people have hearts of stone. And what it is, is is they put up kind of like a coping mechanisms. You're able to keep things at arm's length so you won't be hurt. And you're able to, to hold people out. And you're able not to have to think about what's going on. Because why? If you do that, it might make you sad. And here's a phrase I, I use all the time with our staff and other leaders. Sad is not bad. You ready? Sad is not bad if it's handled correctly. We're not talking about overwhelming despair or depression, but we're talking about honest emotion that God has created us to have. And when we have that, we're sensitive to God and we're sensitive to people. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because now comfort can come in that sensitivity. You're happy not only because you can feel, you're happy because you know the true meaning of life. Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, 2-4. It says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Now, by the way, that most of us don't want to do that. We, we'd rather get an invitation to the party than to, and, and I don't mean this flippantly, than to the funeral. But God, you know, God's saying, well, wait a minute. Do you know where you're going to le- learn what life's all about? Is it the funeral, not the feast? He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting because that in the end is the end of every man. And the living take that to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. And listen to this line. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Isn't that an amazing thing? When a face is sad in the heart, you might have happiness. And the mind of the wise is in the house in the morning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Oh my, have I seen that over and over again. I, I, I one time, uh, there was a, tragic, uh, a tragedy that occurred in our lives when, when a young college guy was murdered in an ATM. 
And I, I showed up at the house as quickly as I could and stepped in. It was packed with family, friends. And, and man, it was packed. I don't mean just a little. But I'll tell you what, when I walked in is, is I heard crying over here and laughter over here. And then that area that cried was laughing. And then all of a sudden the dad stood up and said, oh my gosh, I, I know right now what my son would say to us. And he said, and oh, we just died laughing. And then someone else said, I remember when he did this and we cried. Oh. And, and you know what? It was amazing. We love that guy. And there was a happiness in that we could love him. And there was a, a, a refinement of focus about what life is all about. You see, when you're at a funeral, you start thinking, I wished I would have said this to family. When you're at a, a funeral, you think, I know now that, that I can't take things back. And life goes too quickly. And by the way, that means that sometimes you ought to take that day off work to be with your kids. Because that's what you're going to have as a legacy for you. And, and so... Blessed are you in those moments when you realize how important things are. You're sensitive to people. Now, notice this. We're also happy. Now, this is huge. This is what Jesus is getting at. You're also happy because you're able to understand the gravity of sin. A, a, a heart of flesh knows what sin is. A heart of stone, they, they fight off the idea of sin. They try to act like they, that, that, that you know what, it, well, it's not sin. Or you know what, maybe I did that, but there's all these other good things in my life. And a person who, who grabs hold of this, they, they don't play that game. They don't play that game. Uh, they see sin for what sin is. Pam and I had to go to come to grips that abortion is an, an amazing sin. And we have a child now that is in heaven because we were selfish. And I, I even saying that word, that doesn't bring the gravity to how, what it means. And um, you know what? It, it's, it's sin. It's sin against the child. And it's, by the way, it's a sin against the woman. And uh, to, to try to pretend it's okay isn't any good. The Bible's clear on this issue. And we need to understand it's sin. Adultery is sin. And I, I sat with a young guy who looked me in the eye and he said, I never want to get married because of my dad. Now, Hollywood can romanticize it all at once, but it just butchered a family and has destroyed the innocence of a young man who believed that marriage could be a good thing. You know, premarital sex is a sin. Anger. Oh, anger is a sin. Alcoholic addiction is a sin. Over my years of ministry, three different brides told me my father is not welcome at my wedding because he's an alcoholic. That, do you think that's how they began life with that little girl in their arms? And, and it butchers and kills. And if we can't cry about that, if we can't own up to it, if we can't be sensitive to it, then something's desperately wrong. And we're in a society today that tries to act like it's victimless. Uh, uh, prostitution. Well, that's a victimless crime. Well, we're knowing today that as the mask gets pulled back about sexual enslavement of young girls. And it bothers me, and I think bothers you, that we live in a city in Corona, or you're from the area. But just in the city limits of Corona, there are 36 illicit sexual massage parlors operating. And how many of those girls, that's not choice. Maybe because they were abused so badly, they've lost self-respect. They've been sold a bill of lies, but here's the scary one. How many are chained in there? There's a victim here. And when we act like that's okay, then we've blown it. And by the way, we fuel that by, by partaking in pornography or buying pornography or, or, or allowing that to happen. And we've got to be able to cry over the fact that we've done it. But the danger is when we act like, well, I don't have any sin in me and I think I'm okay. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin... 
We, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make God a liar. And the truth is not in us and his word is not in us. Don't miss this. If I walk around pretending, man, I don't have an issue. I don't have sin in my life and I don't have a sensitivity to it then I'm not a person who's poor in spirit. I'm not a person who's able to mourn. And, and we just got to get honest about it. Um, the other day, uh, man, I, I, I sometimes get just too focused and I hurt somebody. Someone I love and someone I care about, they, they, they were giving their all and uh, I didn't show value. I didn't show respect. And here's what's even worse. Are you ready? Man, I'm just saying some things, not realizing I'm just hitting them and hitting them. And, and, and I walk away, not, not just oblivious to it because I was so in my own world. And uh, then I got word of what I did. And uh, man, it, it killed me. It's a good thing it, it, it took it hard. I sat there thinking, what did I do? Why would I, I, why would I not show someone more value than that? Why wouldn't I be more careful in, in, in kind of giving better direction in a moment? Why, why wouldn't I just give truth and kind? And, and it's like, what am I doing? And I love this person. I value them. But I, I, I didn't show respect, which is not in that. By the way, that's the thing. To me, that's a bigger sin than you know. To take somebody that God says is incredible and you devalue them and, and, and attack them. And, and the words echo in their mind. And it's like, no. And I had to get to them right away. And, and, and the words I'm sorry weren't just words. And, and when you are a person who can mourn and cry, then you can go to somebody. And that's probably maybe the difference. I've sat with people and said, well, tell them how you feel. And they go, well, I'm sorry. And the other person goes, I don't believe you. But someone who really is mourning and says, I'm sorry, I think we all get it. We get that it's real. We get that it's true. And why? Because there's a time when we cry over the sin. And we cry over what we've done. We cry over, over the, the acts we've committed. And, and we need to do that. Uh, uh, it, we can't be God's people without it. We can't be honest about the presence of God without it. James chapter four, verses eight to 10 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. But listen to the next verse. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, by the way, we're going to talk about the comfort of God that comes, but it doesn't come if you and I aren't open to the fact that we are people who have a sin issue and problem, and we at times sin. By the way, very often in me, I'm going to say for me, I want to ask you to think about this for you. I do it intentionally. And then I look back and say, oh no, I shouldn't have done it. And sometimes I mask myself, okay, it's not wrong, it's not, and then I do it and I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit won't let me off. And uh, uh, if, we can't, if we can't mourn and cry in that moment, then that's not okay. I had someone in, in, in not too long ago say, well, the reason I want to come to church is because I just want to come here and have you make me feel good. I said, I can't always promise that. <laughs> By the way, is that what it says here? Draw near to God and you'll feel good. No, no, no. By the way, in the end, yeah. But, but you know what? There's times that we shouldn't feel too good. 
There's times we shouldn't feel. And if you're in, in a real relationship with God as your father, he's going to want to have you own up to this. And by the way, he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on that cross because of this thing we called sin. And maybe we don't understand very often, even an S-I-N word, how powerful and horrible and horrific it is. But God showed it to us when his son went to the cross in such a brutal way and said, this is the only way I can pay for what you've done. And uh, we need to understand that. And and for me, I know the sin in my life. And that is why I love Jesus as much as I do. In Luke 7, Jesus said, the one who has forgiven much loves much. And the one who has forgiven little loves little. And I want to tell you something. I love God because of the forgiveness I need for the forgiveness he gave. Uh, It's not a minor thing to me. And, And I do not deserve his love and grace, but I am amazed at it. And, and you know what? It just causes me to love him more and more and more. And if you're here today and you say, man, if I really got honest about who I am, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want anybody to know what God knows. And let me tell you this. He could not love you more than he does. And if you understand that and you understand the cleansing and the forgiveness, then what you should do is, is, is say, God, I, I'm sorry, but I want this and I want you and I'm not going to pretend it's not there. And then in that, that morning comes cleansing and becomes the forgiveness and the righteousness and everything that comes. See, we're happy because godly sorrow leads to repentance. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10. It says, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, Paul says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it for a while. For I see that the letter caused you a sorrow, though only for a while. And I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss and anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, now, the idea isn't that you and I are to be sorry and live in this sorrowful state and feel like we never matter to God and feel like that we can't ever have this mark taken away from us. No, it's, it, what it does is it causes us to say these words, Father, I'm so sorry. And as far, I never want to do that again. That's repentance. I never want to be that person again. I never want to act like that again. I I never want to be that angry again. I I don't want to be controlled by that. I don't want to be that lustful again. I I don't want to, God, I don't want to be a liar again. God, I don't want to take someone's confidence and, 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 and then, and and blow it again. And God, I don't ever want to be a person who doesn't love again. And and God says, when you do that, he says, that's this thing called saying no more. I, I want to change. And he says, I'm going to forgive you and cleanse you and help you change. If you would say, I need you and I need others and, and I'm sorry for what I've done and what I've said and, and how I've acted and, and who I've hurt, God says, then come and get cleansed and come and not be that person anymore. Uh, be changed. And that's what he wants us to understand. And, and, and you know what? It's an amazing bonding moment with God when we can sit with him and say, I am, I'm sorry. I, uh, I had a friend, uh, uh, hurt me badly. I hurt him too. And, and I wounded him and he wounded me. And, and, and the bottom line is, is we, we knew each other well enough how to wound deeply. And boy, he got me. Um, because he knew me so well, he knew what to go for. And uh, it was a few years, I, we kept trying to repair it. And then a, a few months ago, he got word to me, I need to talk with you. And we sat down together and he starts crying. And he said, Chuck, man, I... Man, no excuses anymore. I, I can't believe I did this. And then I start to cry. Me too. 
And uh, neither of us tried to justify and say, well, you did or none of that. When you start mourning, you don't do that. And um, man, we're crying together and we're hugging. And I want to tell you, I don't know that we have ever been better friends than right now. The bonding that took place. The other day, Pam, at our house, um, the little boy she watches, Noah, he, he does something he's not supposed to do. And I'm sitting in the other room and I hear Pam say, no. And he looked up. How could you? Why did you do that? And all of a sudden, that little sensitive heart, he just breaks. And I hear the crying. Oh, and she goes, you just aren't supposed to do that. And he's crying harder because I mean, he really, he's sorry. He's sad. Not just that he got caught. There was this, a, a, a true sense of remorse. And then I hear these little words. Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? And Pam's like, you're okay. You're okay. And he's grabbing her and hugging her and crying. And, and I go walking in and they're on the couch together and he's got his arms around her crying. And she goes, you're okay, you're okay, but you just can't do that anymore. And then all of you who are parents, what do you think happened next? For the next 20 minutes, he doesn't want to leave. He just stays with her, hugging her, talking. Now they're laughing. I mean, because it's gone. We're not going to hold it over him. It's gone. And, and we can deal with it. And, and, and the idea is to know it's not okay anymore. And, and we're going to move forward. And that's not who we want you to be. And, and he now is laughing. And he's talking. And it's like this amazing freedom. My youngest son, Tim, I really believe that he loved those moments so much he got in trouble on purpose. I really do, especially in junior high. It's like, why'd you do that? You're on restriction. Now you have to be with us. And he's like, yeah. And he'd be in that living. And it's like, but it bonds you if you do it healthy. If you do it healthy, it bonds you with God and it bonds you with others. And you know what God says? Blessed are those who mourn. Not because of the mourning. The mourning opens the door to why you get happy. It's the comfort. It's experiencing the God of all comfort who comes and says, I couldn't love you more than I do. I couldn't care for you more than I do. I couldn't value you more. But let's get beyond this and don't let this be who you are anymore. By the way, I want to say that part again. God says, if you can work with me through this, then that's not who you'll be anymore. That doesn't define you. You know, I, I, I want to tell you, if you're here today, you are not. God doesn't look at you and say that you're a sinner saved by grace. He looks at you and says, you're my child who's cleansed completely. Now, are you a sinner saved by grace? Well, at one moment, but now you're his. And the grace of God calls you into a relationship where God wants to just move forward. And, and then he becomes this God of all comfort. Second Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also the comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, did you catch that? God says, I want to come and comfort you. I want to come and love you. And then he says, you know what the outgrowth of that is? You turn around and do that to others. You know, I, I, I don't get to do it as much as I used to, but there'd be times I'd be in a place like the living room and people would be sitting there going, man, I just can't believe I did this. I can't believe the person I've been. And then they look and say, Chuck, I hope you don't think less of me. And I'd look at them and be honest. You're not even half as bad as I am. And I was. Man, if we're matching sin for sin, I, here's one of the greatest sinners who's ever lived. And I, I'm not saying that flippantly either. And, and, and they're like, what? And I'm saying, you know what? But I can't tell you about a God who loves like this. 
I can't tell you about a God who cares. That's what he wants you to experience. And you begin to comfort other people. I have a friend who, um, man, he went through a brutal time. He started out by, by he, he was raised, and by the way, he, has, he wants me to be able to share this in a, in a way that makes sense. He was raised in a, in a supposedly Christian home that was amazingly dysfunctional and evil. And, and what happened is, uh, amazingly, he still became a Christian. And, and then he felt God call him into the ministry. And in Bible college, he met a woman whose home was just as big a mess as his was. And so you've got two very dysfunctional people coming in and, and beginning to, to try to have a marriage. And they have no clue how to have a marriage in a family. But what they were taught all the years of their life was you never let anybody know this. You know, they, they were both from families that when they showed up at church, they pretended, oh, aren't we a great family? Isn't, isn't everything wonderful? But then, man, when the door shut at home, it was anything but that. And now they're bringing this too. And even as much as they hated it, they weren't sure how to break that cycle. Well, then, in almost a horrible way, his ministry began to grow and take off. And the people of the church thought, what an amazing pastor you are. And, and oh, you're incredible. And his wife would stand on stage and talk about the marriage they had in a wonderful way. The kids, his kids sat there knowing it wasn't true. His kids also knew they were the targeted too much. And, and so what happened is now... It's a mess, but the church gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he feels more determined not to be honest about his sin. And so one day he comes walking in the house and it's empty. His wife has been in the midst of an affair and has left him and took the kids. And the kids don't want to be with him. And he said, Chuck, as hard as it was to know I lost my family, he said, I hate to say it. What really killed me was now I couldn't hide it. Now, no hiding it. All the lies are coming out. Man, all the, the facades dropped. He said, I was humiliated. He went with the elders and shared with them. They were shocked. Nobody had a clue. They did a great job of covering it up. And then he had to tell the church, which was the right thing to do. And so he, the elders said, you know, we're not sure what we want to do. We're going to send you away for three months for intensive counseling and see if there's any way to help your camp family get restored. Well, they didn't want any part of that. Well, he goes away and now he's broken and humiliated. He feels like he's lost everything. He's lost his wife. He's lost his kids. He's lost, he's lost his job. He, he, he doesn't know what he's going to do financially. It's going to devastate them. I mean, he, just life is obliterated at this point. Well, he comes back after three months and the elders said, look, we can't rehire you. And, and that made sense. But what really hurt is he realized that, that people on his staff who he thought were not just staff but friends weren't his friends. And they took the time to really take some shots at him. And it hurt. I mean, he's already wounded. By the way, there's a danger sometimes that Christians are good at shooting their wounded. And they were shooting and shooting and shooting. And he's already broken. He's not trying to defend himself. And, and now he's realizing, I don't even have a friend in the world but I can't hide it. Well, the good news was that brought him to such a low point that he continued in his counseling and uh, another friend of ours brought him into their church family and, and made sure he was taken care of and helped the counseling continue because the goal is always, if, you don't, if you're new, restoration or redemption is always the goal. Always the goal. 
And so they were trying to bring this guy back and, and, and help him know his value to God and to others and repair and rebuild. And, and so what happened is he went through this process with such humility and such honesty, because now the truth setting him free, that, that he's able to help other people. Families that are dysfunctional now are coming out of the woodwork saying, we can trust you. And they're sitting down and sharing what's going on. And he's able now, based on what he's been through and, and, and also what he's learning, to really start making a difference in their lives. And, and he's beginning to see God use him in that way to, to help people who are broken and now open up and be honest and find healing and find new life. And, and then after a couple of years of this, it happened. A, a lady came and met with him. And she opened up about what had happened in her life. And uh, what happened then is he began to, uh, to talk with her and to share with her. And, and he realized the depth of what the evil that she had been involved in and done and, and the evil done to her. And he said, I want you to do this. He said, I want you to, uh, to, to spend the next two days in prayer. And I want you to write down everything you've done you shouldn't have done and every hurt that's ever been done to you. And she said, that's going to be hard. And he said, yeah, I want you to pray. Don't take this lightly. I want you to do it. Well, she went away and he thought, I need to do that too. I've never really done that. He said, he started writing and man, it just a flood of memories came and aches came and things he had said and things he had done. And now all of a sudden in the presence of God more than ever, he's like, Lord, I can't believe. And, And God just helped him remember. And he wrote him down. He said, I had a stack about that thick. When she came back, her stack was about that thick. And I said, are you ready for what's about to happen? And she said, I don't know. She goes, I hated this. She goes, I can't believe who I've been. And he said, did you just hear the words you said? Because you were right. Who you've been. Because now that you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And the old things have passed away. And he held them up. He said, these need to be gone. And I want to I have you get in front of an altar. And she said, what? And he said, I'm not kidding. We have an altar. And he took her by the arm and he led her over. And they knelt in front of a paper shredder. And he said, you know what I want, we're going to do, we're going to shred this. And once we shred it, there's no putting it back. And he said, I, I, I want to do this with you. And they began to pr- cry and pray right in front of something just exactly like this, a paper shredder like this. And what happened is they, uh, they in the midst of that moment, they, they grabbed hold of the things that they had been holding on to. And they just started putting them in here saying, God, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. New things have come. And I just want to be new. And they started crying and crying and crying. And, and he said, you know what? I got up from there and somehow God helped me picture more than ever. I'm cleansed and I'm free. See, when you come to the comfort of God, he doesn't say, now this is what you need to, re- to, to keep in your mind all your life. He says, no, let's let go of it. And you start being new and free and the cleansing. And God wanted that to happen and shred it and it's gone. And it's not going to be brought back again. And... Uh, when I came to Crossroads a few years ago, we needed a night of shredding. Some of you were here for it. We needed to be shredded of the past things the whole church family had experienced. We needed to be shredded of the things that were keeping us in bondage as a church family. But then I began to say, let's do this as individuals. If you've got a grudge against somebody, why don't you write down their name and you're not shredding them. Please. <laughs> oh boy, I'll put them in the shredder. <laughs> no, why don't you be set free? No more holding the grudge. Uh, If you've got an addiction, write it down. If you've got a hurt, a pain in your life, write it down. If you've got something that you've done, who you've been, write it down. And and you know what? Let's walk out of here free. And I've had more than one person, but just recently someone came up and said, remember a couple years ago we did that? Chuck, I put that in the shredder and it, it's gone. 
I can't tell you, I mean, I've struggled and struggled and I pray genuinely and I say, God, I'm giving it up and I'm not going to hide that I've been this. And, and I, it's not always that one moment, but I'll tell you, it's a good journey. And today I, I want to ask you to think this through with me. Can you say you're a person who knows how to mourn? Are you a person who can actually cry when you've done something wrong? And are you willing today to say to God, you know, I've not always been right. I've had attitudes, I've had stubbornness, I've had anger, I've had just, I've done things that were vile. And I'm not going to hide it, God. You know what God says to you? Good. And now that you're willing to admit that, let me cleanse you, let me comfort you, let me take it away. Some of you might say, I've been hurt. Man, I, that hurt, hurt so bad. And God says, well, let me heal it. Let's shred it, let's get rid of it. He wants to set you free. And that's the road to having his comfort come. Today, if you need the comfort of God, it's for you. Just blessed are you if you're willing to admit it. And God wants to come and love and care for you. If you're here today and you're not in a relationship with him, let me tell you, God could not love you more than he does. And he knows an amazing, amazing plan that he has for your life. And if you would open up to him right now, he would come and he would adopt you and bring you close to him. But you've got to do it honestly. You've got to say, God, I know you love me. And I know Jesus died on the cross for me. And I need forgiveness and I need freedom from fear and I need healing from hurt. And God, I need you. And so here's my life, take me. And when you say that, then his love comes and his cleansing comes, his transformation comes. If you've never done it before, the way you do it is you start by talking to God and you pray to him and he's gonna come and take you. But I'm gonna tell you, there's a step two. Step two is you've gotta walk with God. And and, and just like we said, any healing that's going to come comes from being honest. And if you pray that prayer today, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take courage. I'm going to ask if you pray that prayer today, that you get up from your seat when we get towards the end of the service and stand to sing. And you make your way to an aisle and you come down here and head right into this room we call our living room. And and I want to tell you why we're asking you to come. In the room, we want to give you some things. And we want to share some things with you that will make a difference. But the most important reason I'm asking you to come is when you start walking with God like that, you're going to sense a connection. But you're also physically saying to God, physically saying to yourself, and physically saying to everybody else here, I'm making this decision. And you might say, why would I want everyone else to know? Because you're going to say, no more hiding it. I want to be God's completely. No holding back. And when that happens,